Hey, what's up? My name is Jason. I'm the pastor of Church in the Wild. Thank you for joining us in the wild, where we have sermons, conversations, interests, all the things that make us who we are. Thanks for jumping on here. You matter. What's up? Welcome to Church in the Wild. Give yourself a round of applause for being here. You made it today. I think this is like the coldest November that I can remember. So if you're from the South and you're here and you're like, this is terrible, please stay. It's not always like this. Sometimes it's beautiful. Sometimes it's really nice. I'm from way north of here in the state. You don't want me to say this week. Starts with a letter. I'm not allowed to say this week or I get fined by John Kasich for some reason. But, uh, you know, hey, it's way colder up there. So if you're like, man, this is terrible, man, you got it made here because it's a lot colder where I'm from. Let's read a couple verses, then we'll jump into this song. Psalm chapter 148, Psalm 148, shout praises to the Lord. Shout the Lord's praises in the highest heavens. All of you angels and all who serve him above, come and offer praise. Sun and moon and all of you bright stars, come and offer praise. Highest heavens, the water above the highest heavens, come and offer praise. Psalm 104, verse 12 Besides them, the birds of the heavens dwell, and they sing among the branches. Revelation 5, 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. C.S. Lewis said, the most valuable things the book of Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God, which made David to dance. And so we've been walking through this series called The Songs That Pine Trees Sing, and we've just been looking at different ways that creation worships God and ways that we can join in the dance that creation partakes in daily. And we talked about this. We talked about the idea that creation literally moves and it sways with God. Seasons move and begin and end with God and under his directions. Trees uh, bend to the wind rather than resist them, and they move with the wind that gives them life. Then we talked about this idea that sometimes you want to dance. Like sometimes worship is good and you're feeling good. She said yes to whatever it is you asked her and you want to dance. You asked for the raise and you got the raise and you want to dance. Your team wins the game and you want to dance. And sometimes your team loses the game and you don't want to dance. And so we talked in week two of this series about the idea of simply raising your hands as a symbol of surrender to God. Just simply in worship saying you are good even though my circumstances are not. And we talked about the idea of falling down on our knees in worship and just simply falling in submission and surrender, which causes us to see things from God's point of view. And we talked then about singing loudly and in unison. We talked about how unison, singing loudly and in unison does this thing where it releases the same chemical that happens in your brain when you fall in love for the first time. And how when we worship God together, when we sing together, we fall in love with him and those around us who sing with us. And this week we're talking about another word. This word is called zamar, and we'll jump to that in a minute. But I do want to uh, thank a couple of people. First of all, uh, this was Cam's first week on the drums, right? Let's give it up for him. He's... Cam's first week on the drums, crushed it. Good job, dude. I loved it. It was awesome. 
Um, then I want to thank Chris Tomlin for the book, Holy Roar, which is where this series was inspired from. So if you want to know more, there's more words that we didn't have time to get to. So if you want to know more, you can purchase the book, Holy Roar. It's a book by Chris Tomlin. And then I want to thank Travis and Brian for speaking while I was in Brazil. Let's give it up for them. Uh, they, did, they did awesome. They did a great job. And then thank you for allowing me, church, to go to Brazil. Thank you for that. Um, Middle of the summer, I, I had this talk with Samantha, and uh, this sounds very fancy, Samantha, uh, Sam. Uh, I had this talk with Sam, and I said, look, I'm, I'm traveling and speaking too much. Like, I'm going to too many other states, and I need to be home. Um, I have friends that love to be like the traveling speaker guy at conferences. I hate it, like with a passion. I hate it. Uh, my brother and I were talking about this. He's like, man, I love it. Everyone treats you like a king. And I was like, and that's what I hate about it. Like, it just leads to arrogance, I feel like. And so I just, I want to stay here and speak. That's my heart is to be a shepherd to our church, not to shepherd other churches whose names I don't even know. I want to shepherd our church. But I had already agreed to this trip. And so um, I also want to thank Champion Forest, a church in Texas, which paid for me to go. And um, I would thank you all for letting me go. Um, thank you for allowing me to go. I know that it's different when I'm gone, and I appreciate that. I think we had two great speakers. We, we had a great service. I got to watch the one. I was in the Amazon on a boat watching Travis speak, and that was pretty cool. Uh, and then I got to be here for one, but thank you for allowing me to take a couple weeks go. It was an incredible trip. Um, I was able to help be a part of a sports ministry in the Amazon. We played soccer with a bunch of Brazilian men and then just shared the gospel with them, watching, watching people get saved. And here in America, we, we do this thing where it's like, yeah, I accept Jesus. There it's like, by accepting Jesus, I am renouncing people in my village who are then going to try to kill me. So this is a big decision. And watching these men recognize that and then be like, yeah, I accept Jesus right now was so powerful. And so thank you for allowing me to go. This might be the most random question. I'm not even sure it's an appropriate church question. I don't really know yet. Um, but I'm not going to ask you to tell the story. I'm not going to ask you to like give details. How many of you have ever been in a fist fight? Anybody? Okay, I'm among. Okay, good, 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 good. Uh, let's do this. In the last five years, have any of you been in a fist fight? Okay, okay, all right. All right, 10 years, anybody in the last 10 years you've been in one? Okay, a couple more, 15 or 20, anybody in the last 20? We got a lot of Westerville Christians in here, y'all, good Christians, you know, don't, don't throw hands like they do where I grew up. I'll just say this, men, you, I'm not advocating you get in a fist fight, but you should be able to if called upon, all right? If you're a man, you need to be able to. We can clap for that, all right? You should be able to. I'm not saying you should, but you should be able to. Uh, the reason I'm asking that is because, um, I don't know if you know this, but there's a game coming. There's a game coming. And there's a tunnel, and there's a fight that always seems to happen at every tunnel at every time, right? There's fist fights, right? Um, man, I, I like, I enjoy watching every now and then UFC or boxing, you know, now it's like this celebrity, you know, the queen is fighting this week against someone, you know, uh, Logan Paul challenged the queen and she's in there, you know, bobbing and weaving, like you never know what's going to happen in boxing, but in UFC it's intense, like it's, it's very intense. And um, imagine for a second if this week they announced, okay, fighting in the blue trunks is Conor McGregor. We got any Conor McGregor fans in here? Anybody? Okay, a couple of you. Good, good, good. I see you. Good, good. And in the red trunks, at 12 feet, 9 inches, weighing 1,440 pounds, grizzly bear. 
Like imagine if Conor McGregor decided, you know what, this week I'm fighting a grizzly bear. Or imagine, you know, Logan Paul gets, gets a line to challenge him in a boxing match. Like throw hands, let's do this. That's intense. Fist fights are intense. I was talking with some of the guys earlier about my older brother and I's relationship, which often ended in fist fights when we were younger until I got big enough that there was one last fight where he was like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, you're big enough now. Fights are intense. But do you know how amazing it is when someone fights an animal? Like, think about it. Recently, two wrestlers from Ohio, this is a real story, two wrestlers from Ohio were hiking in Colorado and a grizzly bear attacked them and they fought the grizzly bear and one of the wrestlers in the moment put it into a headlock and started punching it in the face, which is the most epic thing I've ever heard. Like, that's incredible. How do you fight a grizzly bear? Uh, There was a, a guy a while ago, he was walking his dog outside of Taco Bell and a mountain lion came down and attacked his dog and he fought the mountain lion. We all know the guy on YouTube who's famous for running out into an open field, squaring up and punching a kangaroo in the face. (laughs) Y'all know kangaroo guy? We all know kangaroo guy, right? It's epic when you hear about a man fighting an animal, like a deadly predator. The man who wrote all the Psalms that we've been reading about fought a lion and a bear when he was a boy. He then went on and fought a skilled assassin, who, by the way, was twice his size. Then he was recorded as having killed thousands of his enemies. Then he went on to become the king who united a bunch of dysfunctional people, put them together, brought the Ark of the Covenant back, established peace and prosperity, established and bought a large part of the temple, and then ushered in a kingdom with his son, which was the most prosperous kingdom in the history of Israel. That man, when he died, was described in Psalm, 2 Samuel 23, verse 1, like this. These are the last words of David. The oracle of of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. I thought about those words. If I fought a grizzly and a lion, I would be wanting to be known as the man who fought a grizzly bear. Like if I get the chance... When I was in the Amazon, I kept trying to sneak off the trail because I wanted to fight an anaconda. Like, I just wanted to go find an anaconda, and they kept coming, oh, no, no, you got to come back here. And one of the people was like, what happens if you run into one? I'm like, well, I'm going to fight it. It's either me or them. Like, what if there's a jaguar? Like, he'll have to wait in line until I'm done with the anaconda. They're like, what is wrong with you? Like, if I fought an actual animal, I would want to be known as the man who went down fighting a lion. David is remembered as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Why? This man kills a lion, a bear, a giant, thousands of enemies, but God immortalizes him forever as the sweet psalmist of Israel because the greatest battle you and I ever face is spiritual, and one of our greatest weapons is worship. See, here we think so often in terms of like physical battle here, In America, when we start to think of of warfare, we think of physical things. But the greatest battle you face is a daily battle, and it's a spiritual one. 
So God said, I know he killed a lion. I know he killed a bear. I know he killed thousands of enemies. I know he was a king. But above everything else, he waged spiritual warfare through worship. Ephesians 6.12 says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You and I face every day of our life attacks, and they do not come when someone shades you on Instagram or cuts you off in Kroger to get the last Thanksgiving ham. They come daily, over and over and over. Can I tell you, the enemy, Satan, hates you and wants to destroy you. And he doesn't attempt to do it here in America through presidents or laws or Congress or battles. He does it daily through spiritual attack after spiritual attack after spiritual attack. And you face that every day, every day. Trees are also constantly under attack. You think about a tree from the moment it is, it is born, it faces the wind it might be too much wind or not enough wind. It faces the sun. A tree can have too much sun and not enough sun. It faces the cold. Some trees can have enough cold but not too much cold. Some trees face a battle every day that we're not even aware of when we mow our lawn, cut the tops of them off and stomp on them, and we don't even know that we just did it. Trees face continual, constant attack, but their biggest threat is not an animal. It's not the wind. It's not the sun. It's not even us. The biggest threat is something that we don't even see or notice. It's an animal called an aphid. An aphid is a small animal that attacks trees, and here's what it does. <sighs> Can't make this up. It burrows through the bark of the tree. It cuts a hole in it, and it finds in between the meat of the tree and the, the bark this really sweet thing that's giving life from the roots up to the leaves and back down, and it drills a small hole, and it drinks that. And all that it does is it doesn't even kill the tree. It drains it of its energy and stops it from growing. Animals like aphids, woolly beech scales, they leave festering wounds, fungus and bacteria underneath the, the bark of a tree and weaken it. These are specific animals that attack trees each and every day of our life. And every tree trying to grow as tall as it can possibly grow is under a constant attack by enemies who simply want to get under its skin and weaken it. And you and I face the same attack, not from an animal named an aphid, but from Satan himself, who all he wants to do is get under your skin and drain you of spiritual energy so that you don't grow the way he wants you to grow. This is why we see this constantly. Someone comes to church, they get saved, they get baptized, they get in, they, get, they get become a part, they're growing, and all of a sudden, what happens in their life? Someone from the church says something. Somebody else from the church doesn't say something. Somebody from the church doesn't acknowledge them. Somebody from the church does acknowledge them about something they don't want to be acknowledged about. And it's not a physical attack. We don't fight each other. We fight a spiritual battle from an enemy who says, I noticed they didn't say hi to you. And we start to think about that daily. And over time, it begins to drain us and drain us and drain us. And then there's another one, and then another one, and then another one. And this is why I'll talk to someone when they come to church, and they're like, God is so good. And when they leave, they're like, I don't even know. I don't like this, and this, and this, and this. What happened? 
They faced spiritual attack that continually drained them and stopped them from growing. Why? If an aphid can stop a tree from growing, the tree eventually dies. If he can stop you from growing, and here's how he does it, I am witnessing this happen. He gets you to leave the church because, well, that person, you know, they're too conservative. They're too liberal. They're too this. They're too that. So I'll just do it on my own. And he gets you on your own, and he just cuts you off completely. And these little things that burrow under our skin begin to drain us and keep us from growing. But this is fascinating. Certain trees, and I have certainly not done all of the I've not done all of the study on this, but certain trees, science yet has not figured out how this happens, but certain trees turn the attacks into blessings. And when an aphid and other small animals bite them, they release a scent into the air, and that scent attracts ants. And the ants come, and the ants eat the animal that's eating the tree, and the carcass of it drops down into the tree branch or into the ground, and it releases more chemicals, which grows healthy fungus and healthy bacteria and attracts bees who come and pollinate the tree and begin to pollinate other trees around it. And eventually, the tree's bark grows thicker and stronger because of the attack. And this is what happens in our life when we worship God. When you and I worship God the way that we're intended to worship God, God turns the, uh, the tax into blessings. He turns what the enemy meant for evil into good. You are under sa- constant attack from Satan, and there is one weapon that you have that will soothe your spirit, strengthen your spirit, and turn your attacks into blessings, and that is the word zamar. Zamar. Zamar means this. To praise God by combining singing and instruments. It's where we get the word psalm. We face a constant spiritual attack and God recognized it. So he gave us the longest book in the Bible to show us how to fight and fight and fight and fight and fight against spiritual wickedness that's attacking us each and every day. And it's through worship. It's through worship. God gave us something that helps us. Look at Ephesians 5.19. Ephesians 5.19, addressing one another in psalms, this is the word zamar, hymns, this is also a a word zamar, and spiritual songs, which is kind of like a summary of the word zamar, singing and making melody in your heart uh, to the Lord with your heart. God knew you would be attacked, so he gave us the biggest book of the Bible specifically regarding the word zamar to help us. Because Zamar is a weapon. It is a weapon. Worship is what will turn your attacks into blessings. Worship will turn what the enemy meant for evil into something good. You need worship. I'm going to say something right now. If you tweet things, if you, if you throw it up on the gram, if you write things in a journal, write this down. Worship is about God, but it is for us. Worship is about God, but it's for us. See, here in America, we, we do this opposite. We think that worship is about us and for God. What we think of, when we think of worship, is we have this angry guy up in heaven, and he's mad, and unless we sing to him, and we do it better than somebody else sings to him, he won't be mad at us anymore. So we got to sing to him or else he's ticked off. But God views worship as something that's for us, but about him. Worship is a weapon to help 
you fight against the voices you hear in your head every day telling you this person doesn't like you, this person doesn't like you, this person is against you. I notice this, I notice this, and worship is the weapon that we use to stop that. This is why we don't do specials here at Church in the Wild. You, you notice that over time. We don't have solos, we don't have duets, we don't have any of that. Why? Because worship is about God, it's not about us. And often when you sing a, a special, it's, we end up worshiping the talent of the person who sings the special. How do we know this? Well, we only say amen when they hit the key change. It's the only time we say amen during a special. Like no one says anything, and then all of a sudden they, they go up an octave, and everyone's like, woo, you're just worshiping the talent of the person. That's not about God. True worship is combining music and instruments and all of us taking place and all of us taking part and praising him together. But it's for us. Because when we fail to worship him, he does not fail to be good. We just become less aware of how good he truly is. When we fail to worship God, it's not like God suddenly stops being good because we don't worship him. Well, I'm not singing this week, so God's not good. No, God is always good. That is who God is. God is love, God is holy, and God is good. And worship makes us aware of how good he truly is. A study was done where people were asked to look at other people's faces and later to say if the person was smiling or frowning. So they had a whole bunch of people line up and they put on all these screens, a person in front of them. When people looked at other people with upbeat, positive music playing, they nearly almost said that the person was smiling. But when they listened to like dashboard confessionals or something, sad music, they almost always said the person was frowning. Music literally changes everything about us. You can choose to have a good day or a bad day by the music that you listen to. This is why you don't need to stay home from church and listen to T-Sizzle, although she's super talented because you're having a bad, bad day. She's talented, but you don't need to stay home and listen to sad music because you're sad. This is why just because you're angry doesn't mean you need to listen to angry music like Green Day. I'm ticked off, so I'm going to listen to Green Day, right? That's not what it is. The point of worship is that it helps you by strengthening your spirit, and then your spirit helps your mind. The worst thing you can do when you are sad is listen to sad music. When you are under attack, the last thing you need from music is to look back at yourself again. See, our culture is obsessed with drawing us back to ourselves. Have you noticed this? What is every country song about? Well, she left me, but I'm going to do better than her anyways. Right? What is every hip-hop song about? I got money, I got a car, I got this, I got that, and you don't, so I'm better than you. What is every pop song about? I need you to love me the way I want you to love me, and if you do, I'll write a catchy hook, and the song will become a big deal. What is every cool, like I grew up in, in the, you know, I grew up in Green Day, I grew up in all that. We had some great music back in the day. But every one of those songs is all about, well, my dad didn't smile at me when I was 12, so I'm screaming in my room. All right, dude. Every genre of music is about self except for worship, which points us away from self and towards God. And this is why worship is so important. This is why Martin Luther said, next after theology, I give the highest praise to music. Now, this is important because we often think of worship as something new, like 
oh, music is new. But Martin Luther, who is part of the Protestant Reformation, regularly said that people who didn't like upbeat music were boring and angry. Like he regularly talked about that. He regularly says that music lifts our soul and it's so important that he places it only after theology. How does worship help us so much? Well, Zamar specifically helps us to see God. It helps us to see God. This is why it's so important that we worship together as a body of believers. And it's not about a person up here singing. It's about all of us singing together. That song, So Will I, is one of my favorite songs. The, the lyrics in that song are so powerful. But one of my favorite things about that song was I stopped singing halfway through and heard all of you singing together, and it lifted my spirits. Zamar helps us to see God. Zamar also makes room for God to work. It makes room for God to work. This is why I love y'all. Like I know it's Westerville. I know this is Westerville Christianity, but church starts at 11, not 11.30. Get your coffee and get your butt in here and sing. In the love of name of Jesus, please. With all the love I can imagine. Why? You need multiple songs to make room for God. You're not going to have room for God to listen to me if all you hear is the prayer and then me. You need multiple songs with multiple times of all of us together worshiping and singing. Zamar makes room for God. Zamar also helps others around us. The reason we need to praise and worship God is because your spouse needs to hear you sing praises. Your fiance needs to hear you sing. Your neighbor, your friend, your family needs to hear you worship God. One of the best things you can ever do for someone who's hurting is invite them to church, stand beside them, and sing off-key at the top of your lungs with all your heart. You don't need to coach them. You don't need to be a life coach. You don't need to guide them. You just need to say, hey, come to church with me, and let's worship together. Because God begins to make room in their life, and he begins to make room in your life, and together you begin to grow as humans. Your children, parents, need to hear you sing. They need to hear you play your instrument. God gave you a gift to play an instrument. Man, we had keyboard today. We had drums today. We had people singing today. There's people using their, their gifts that God gave them, combining them with our voices to worship God. And when that happens, it makes room for God to do things in our heart. But lastly, Zamar is eternal. Zamar is eternal. Worship team, you guys can come up here. Job chapter 38 is one of the most interesting chapters in the Bible. The book of Job is an interesting book, to say the least. But Job chapter 38 verse 4 says something that I think is so important. Verse 4 says, this is God speaking. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. We could talk all day. We could do a year-long sermon series about creation and we could all be mad when we're done because we all have different ideas about it. But there is one thing we know from the book of Job is that when God created this earth, worship was taking place. When God spoke life into planets and out of his breath, galaxies formed. Just the vapor of his breath created entire galaxies. 
When he spoke life, an animal sprung to life. The stars were singing and the sons of God were shouting in worship. Zamar was taking place long before the spiritual attack that you were facing. Long before that person criticized you, long before that person left you, long before that job fired you, long before that sickness came, there was worship taking place. God was speaking life into things and all of creation was roaring in worship to him. They were roaring in Zamar to him. All the way back at the very beginning, before we faced any of the battles that we have to face, worship was happening as God spoke life into something. You want life into your life right now? You need life in something? Worship. I don't feel like it, neither do I. I don't always feel like it. It's not every day of my life that I want to turn on Maverick City Juneteenth album and just rock out. It's not every day in my life that I want to worship, but when I do, my spirit changes. Worship is eternal. It connects us to something bigger than us. It's why it's so important. And long after we're gone, there will be a new heaven. There will be new earth. Revelation 5.13 says that every creature, great and small, gathers around the throne and they fall down on their knees and they begin to worship him. They begin to praise him, this God who sits on the throne. And the Bible says something interesting. It says that when we enter heaven, he wipes away every tear. Every problem gone when we step into his presence. I can't help but wonder if it might be in the middle of a song that God removes all of those things out of our life. And the pains, sicknesses, the physical suffering, the spiritual battle from an enemy who hates you so he tries to destroy your marriage. He hates you so he tries to destroy your children. He hates you so he tries to rip you away from the church who loves you. He hates you so he tries to separate you from friends. And I can't help but wonder if when we fall to our knees in heaven, all of those things are gone. Zamar is an eternal weapon. We just turn our eyes upon Jesus and we look full in his wonderful face. The anxiety, the depression, the guilt from the sins of 10 years ago, the shame when we hear that name, the pain of seeing that person grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. I know a lot of you face battles. I get it. Satan hates you, so he attacks you. He tries to drain your energy away day after day after day. You survive one attack and he throws a new one. And you think you get married so it'll get better, but actually it just gets worse because now there's two of you that he hates and you're in the same building. Then you have a kid because you think that will help. So now there's three of you that he hates in the same building. So you know what? We'll solve that by having more children. And now there's five of you that he hates. And he will do everything to destroy your family. He will do everything to destroy you. He will say and do anything to tear you apart. We have a weapon. And it's combining musical instruments and our voices when we stand together in worship. Sometimes we stand and we raise our hands. Sometimes we dance. 
Sometimes we sing loudly and in unison. Sometimes we just fall to our knees and say, I don't know what to say, but you're good. And I don't see it, but I believe it. Sometimes we start to sing with people we love and our spirits are lifted and God gets room because we turn our eyes off of self and onto him and we begin to see him for who he is. And we begin to catch a glimpse, a small glimpse of what heaven will be. Worship is a small window into eternity. It's a small window into eternity and it's so important. Don't waste the opportunity. Sing, enjoy it, praise Him. But here's the ultimate question. You all can stand to your feet right now with me. How do you worship a God that you don't know? How do you worship a God that you don't believe in or follow? Long before you were born, there was a God who loved you. He loved you so much that He created a perfect place with no sickness, no death, no crime, no separation, no anxiety, no depression, no guilt, no shame. He created that for you. But sin entered into the picture and because of sin came death. Death was Satan's ultimate attempt. I'll destroy the very thing that he created and loves. So Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect sinless life. We're gonna celebrate this all Advent season lived a perfect, sinless life, and then used the very thing that Satan tried to use to destroy you against him when he used death to defeat sin and Satan. And he stepped out of an empty tomb. And I kind of think because Jesus is a baller that he folded the napkin and stepped out like, what now? And he stepped out having so much love for you the Bible says that all who call upon his name shall be saved. He is the God who never leaves the one behind. If you call on his name today, you can be saved. You can be forgiven for your sin and your guilt and your shame. You can be forgiven for the pain. You can find peace and joy and this, this overflowing of joy and peace that is almost impossible to explain and it can only be found in the presence of God. And he'll save you. All of you who call on his name. There is no one that he will cast out. Other people might reject you, Jesus never will. Other people might turn around from you, Jesus never will. And he'll give you a home in heaven this is the beautiful thing. When you step onto that shore, all the pain is gone. And we sing the most beautiful worship song in history. And we don't care about how we sound, and we don't care about how we look, and we don't care about denominational lines or church lines, and we don't care about which instrument we use or any of that nonsense. We don't care about the color of the person beside us. All we care about is the one who saved us is standing in front of us, but we fall in worship and in gratitude to him, and he instantly removes everything. It's gone in that moment. So if you'd like to accept this Savior who died for you, you'd like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, and you'd like to begin a life of worship to Him, simply ask Him to save you from your sins. Call upon Him as your Lord and your Savior, and confess that you have, like everybody else, sin. 
I know nobody wants to talk about it anymore. It's not cool to say sin, but we all sin. Everyone sins. I sin. I sinned on the flight to Brazil when the guy beside me started throwing up and I was like, oh, like mad. We all sin constantly. But Jesus forgives us of our sins and he brings us to eternity with him and we get to worship him together for all eternity. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now in the stillness of this moment. If you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm not gonna tell you how to pray the prayer, just call on him to save you. Jesus, save me. In that moment, just Jesus, save me. I'm not gonna tell you how to say it fancy. I'm not gonna tell you how to word it in a certain religious way. Just call upon Jesus Christ to save you from your sins right now. And if you did so, raise your hand so I can pray for you. Simply raise your hand so I can pray for you. Thank you, thank you. I see both of you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, I see you, thank you. You can lower your hands for the rest of us. Are you weary? Are you feeling seasonal depression? It's spiritual attack. Are you feeling weary of, man, this person, this person, this person, this person, worship. Sing the next song like you've never sung before. It's a tool. It's a weapon. The greatest fight you will fight is spiritual. And one of your greatest weapons is just combining musical instruments and your voice to worship him. So let's raise our eyes. Let's look up here. Let's sing at the top of our lungs. We are saved. We are ransomed. We are redeemed. We have nothing to worry about. We have a good God who is bigger than any problem that we face. Let's worship him together today.